my wife got a new watch band, which keeps her watch on her wrist. And what does that watch tell her? It's time to, to think. think. It's a time to think. Welcome to the podcast, Joshua Holland, the full name. I guess Joshua it's not your full Carl. Name. It's part of your name. Holland, the full name. Christopher Carl Tillman. He's a pastor in Stevens Point, Wisconsin. I'm a pastor in Wausau, Wisconsin, and we collide every few weeks collide. on a podcast called A Time We dovetail, to Josh. Think. We do- oh, that's nice. Yeah. yeah, that's less about some sort of violent yeah, interaction. Violent. We come together nicely. Yeah. And we come together to take a time to think this is a podcast that focuses on thoughtful, careful engagement with issues regarding the culture and the church. Uh, you can find it primarily on podcast platforms, Spotify, Google, um, there's other pod, Apple, that's one. The Apple, yeah, the actual podcast uh, platform, yeah. And you can sometimes find it on YouTube when Nokia? I get my ducks in the row. Nokia flip phones? No. We're on there yet? You just play Snake on those. <laughs> Man, the game is the best. You could, though, if you have a Nokia brick, you could listen to us on a computer while playing Snake. Maybe that would... Some people Man. think better with a little bit of stimulation like that. I had a graphing calculator in high school, and everybody learned how to load the snake game out of that calculator. Oh, yeah. It was the best. Just sit there and pre-calc and just stare at that. How'd the ACT go? Very well. Yeah. <laughs> Very well. <laughs> so you're one of those. Was uh, able to play snake and calculus and still get a good score on the ACT. Just pre-calculus. It's been so interesting. We have a number of teenagers in our church. My wife and I have been just just given a great opportunity to host them in our home fairly regularly. And a number of them are in ACT season. So I've been uh, yes. reliving my high school yes. phase of the anxiety. What score did I get? What does that uh-huh. mean? I'm glad to be out of that stage of my life. Oh, yeah. Now you're just getting seminary grades and yeah. all that fun stuff. But what's fun is somewhat freeing about seminary. I'm, I'm pretty much an academic idolater. So I bend mm. towards I need an A plus sure. or else. And so I think someone told me early on, like, hey, man, if, you, if you're choosing between an A-plus with neglecting your family or a C-plus with being a good father and a husband, choose a C-plus. And I was like, oh, oh man. that's helpful. Who's giving you that advice? Not the seminary president. Yeah, not the <laughs> Ligon Duncan's not giving you that. No, but what that did is it, uh, gave, me, it gave me the goal of faithfulness with my time, yeah. not I need the grade to be who I think I need to be, right? It's yeah, like, and the fair. good news is both... RTS and Southern have faculty who would tell you that advice, even the presidents. Mm-hmm. So Dr. Moeller, Dr. Duncan would both do that gladly, and that's exciting. Yeah, and gracious professors. I, mean, I don't know if my professors would have done this in undergrad, but there's been multiple times my wife or I have emailed our professors and said, hey, personal crisis going on right now. Can yeah. I have a two-week extension? And you know, church crisis, personal crisis, loss in the family, can we get a week? And they're like, yeah, sure, go. Yeah, I had that happen the other week. I had an assignment that was two minutes late. I think it was two minutes late, past the deadline. And I uh, just said, hey, I'm sorry, it's two minutes late. And he's like, man, if I knew what was going on right now in your life, to share with him stuff that you know was happening. And he's like, I'm surprised you even got it in. So yeah. thanks for doing it. Love it's- it. The, some of those professors have been extended grace by their Lord, and then they are extending it to us. Yes. So I And we're extending that. it to you right now. We're listening to A Time to Think. At least that's our goal, is to be conduits. Yeah, tell us how we're conduits of grace on this podcast. We're conduits of grace because uh, the Lord has given us the ability to devote ourselves to 
exercising the gifts that he's given to us for the good of the church and devote ourselves in that pursuit to resourcing ourselves so we can resource you. You know, so when we preach, Josh, you know, each week we sit down and we spend time thinking about the, the text that we're preaching on and so forth. And, and the reality is that most, most Christian people just don't have the opportunity we do. And uh, it's, it's afforded to us. I mean, biblically it's afforded to us and it's a great privilege and a great honor to do that. But not only do we It is a privilege, that, very much so. Yeah, it is. And, and not only do we have that privilege when it comes to you know, how we preach on Sundays, but how we shepherd throughout the week. And this, you know, technologically, we've been given an opportunity to shepherd in an extra way, which is to hang out with people when they're in their car, when they're uh, driving their semi uh, down to, to Illinois, uh, caring for their family and everything. Uh, they're able to listen and to grow and to learn and use time that way. And so we're just thankful that you, know, you all have tuned in so that you can grow because you're certainly not listening to us because you know you just want to hear the sound of our voices uh even though we've both spent time in broadcast media mm. uh, i on the radio and you on the television yeah um people people want to hear and they want to grow and as we we went to grab some lunch josh we were talking and you know just reflecting on the fact that we feel like people want people want others to stand up and say the things that are right that might seem fearful uh, mm-hmm. within our cultural context they might I feel like, man, if I, if I say this, I don't know that I can point to anybody else that, that could kind of take that blow for me. The, the you know, kid, kid who's being bullied at school who can say, yeah, well, you know, my dad, my dad, my dad. And I think we can be, even though we're, we're younger than a lot of the people in our churches, man, we can kind of be that for mm-hmm. people. And uh, this podcast can be that for people. And they think, okay, well, you know, I've, I've thought about this before. And a woman who's very dear to us, who's in our church, that... Um, has shared with, with me before how she left a, a mainline Protestant church and I uh, had been hearing a lot of these you know things we're going to be talking about today about sexual ethics and, and the uh, pride movement and so forth. She just felt so out of place and felt like, man, I just better not question anything, but it just seems wrong. And I, So I she's think, being told, this is right, this is right, this is right, and all the time she's going, ah, I, don't, I don't think it's right. Yeah. But I'm being told it's right. Yeah, yeah and, and so not only someone who will stand up, but also someone to help clarify, because I think a lot of us, particularly yeah. in regards to sex and gender, have gut feelings, and we're like, no, that's not, right. no, they shouldn't, but I can't. You've got so much, so many right. cares, so many worries, and, and you don't have the time that we've been afforded to sit down and, and be able to learn through the argumentation. So we yeah. do hope that as God has been gracious to us, I think about even... Um, in the context of the book that we're preaching right now, Chris, Revelation. Revelation means unveiling. Mm-hmm. And and I've told the congregation of Wausau that God is a God who reveals mysteries. Mm-hmm. It, you know, how were we created is a mystery, God tells us in Genesis. Yeah. Um, what is wrong with this world is a mystery, God tells us in Genesis, mm-hmm. it's because of sin. How these problems are going to be fixed, it's a mystery, God tells us in Christ. Christ is called the mystery. Even in Genesis. There are answers yes. in Genesis. Okay, Ken. There are answers in Genesis. I love Ken. I love answers in Genesis. I just so, want to put a plug there for yeah. you. So, so he, Christ is called the mystery once hidden but now revealed. And then mm-hmm. we get to Revelation and God is saying, I want to reveal something to you. Yep. And I, I pray that even in some small way, these Pride Month podcasts or, or any, any time that we spend thinking where we're pausing, reflecting, dissecting, that, that there would be things unveiled to people that mm-hmm. 
pieces that were loose ends that are now tied together, things that they had gut feelings about that they can now use words to describe Mm -hmm. that not, not that we would be the divine unveiling, but we would be (laughs) used by God to help unearth or unveil or Mm -hmm. show kind of what we're seeing in, in a, in an effort that our people would be able to speak clearly and, and be confident, man. It, it's so easy to meet a cultural wave smacking you in the face day in and day out and to go, what if I'm wrong? Would it? Sure. If I can't articulate it, does that yeah. mean that I'm wrong? It, yeah. The voices are so loud. Does that mean that I'm wrong? And yeah. so we pray that the, these few episodes have, that there'll be a confidence booster yep. as well. So we've talked extensively so far in two hour long podcast about Pride Month One, about some broad brush strokes mm-hmm. of the fact that this is not just a movement about self-expression. Uh, this is a movement about moral celebration. We spent uh, a good deal of time in the last podcast discussing a Carl Truman article about how the Pride movement is controlling space and time, and any movement that controls space and time cannot be described as a marginalized or oppressed movement because marginalized and oppressed pe- people have to hide, not <coughs> control space and time. And, and toward the end of that podcast, we started to talk about sacred symbols and the desecration of sacred symbols. We mentioned yep. the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence and how they defame, profane, and blaspheme images of Jesus. And, uh, and so I want to keep the conversation going, Chris, with the talk of symbols. We can yep. talk a little bit more about desecration of sacred symbols, but we also should spend some time talking about the origin of the pride symbol. Yeah. And uh, so let's, let's start there. Let's talk about the origin of the pride symbol and the origin of that movement so we can learn a little bit about the, yeah, the, the roots of this thing. Yeah. So, you know, what, this is helpful. This is helpful because yes. when, yeah, we want to be helpful. I mean, that's, that's what we're doing here is, is we're attempting to be helpful. You know, when the other day, uh, President Biden unfurled the the pride flag uh, at the the White House and just just draped it there bigger than the American flag effectively just you know put it out that's where it is center stage um, you you put that out there and you think okay well this sure seems to be something significant and you know as as I've been you know want to do when when preaching I tell people if something's significant. It means it points to a sign. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something, you know, there's a sign involved with it. And so when we, we think about what's the sign? Well, President Biden told us what the sign meant. He said, yes. I can look up the direct quote here on Twitter, but he said, this is telling not only the country, but the world, America is a nation of pride. So right. he told us what the sign meant. Right. You know, a good, a good author tells you what the sign means. Yeah. For, for years, it was one nation under God. Uh, President Biden has now declared one nation in, under pride. And uh, that's pretty, pretty awful right there. But, you know, if we, we look back at, at what is significant about the pride flag, um, there's a lot to be said here. And, you know, obviously there is the deliberate perversion of the rainbow, which in Genesis, where, again, I just, there are answers in Genesis. And I, I don't just mean that as a, as a play on words um, with the ministry, but I, I, I really do. That ministry's benefited me a lot over the years. And uh, I think being able to just kind of focus our attention and look at, okay, well, is there, is there more to this than just, is there more to Christianity than just, you know, doing some nice things, which is what I grew up learning. Um, generally speaking, the church that I grew up in, like being a Christian is doing nice things. And you look back like, wow, the whole Bible has a lot to say about the things that we think about and talk about in 21st century America. Mm-hmm. And, and so we look at what is God's symbol of his covenant of peace 
with humanity after destroying humanity with the save Noah and his family for their depravity, right? Humanity was destroyed for its depravity, which included sexual depravity. And God preserves this remnant out of this, this onslaught of rain, the flood, the breaking forth of the, the deep and, and the emptying of the firmament onto the earth. And then it just devastates everything. That same deep everything. that God had controlled and set within boundaries, he now yeah. releases, releases in it. judgment. Exactly. Because he's in control of the waters. Exactly. He, he contains them, he releases them. Yeah. And so he does this and he does it in judgment. And yet after the judgment comes, he says to Noah that this bow I set in the clouds is a symbol of my covenant to never destroy the earth again through flood. And so biblically speaking, we're supposed to look at the, the rainbow and think, there was a time when God judged the earth in righteousness through water and he flooded the earth because of man's pursuit of sin and pride, sin and pride. Uh, you know, the Tower of Babel is a key, key witness to that in Genesis. And we talked about it last time that, uh, you know, man in his pride and his hubris, his arrogance seeks God's place. And the, the rainbow That's is such a say, good definition of sin. Sin yeah. is, sin is not. So if, if Christianity is not just do the right things, sin is not just you did the wrong things. Right. And therefore I should weigh if I'm a sinner or not by if I've done more right things or wrong things. Sin is the usurpation of God. Yep. It is, I am not God, but I want his place. It is, as Jonathan Parnell said, it is the use of God's resources to attempt to ungod him. Mm. So yep. pr- pride is, is not cute. Right. It is the attempt to un-God it's evil. God. It is literally evil. And you could imagine if you're God, you wouldn't be very pleased with it. Exactly. And so this, you know, this pride of man was judged once before, and the Bible's promise is it will be judged once again. And yet the, the rainbow is a symbol in Scripture that God has preserved through judgment before, and that he can preserve through judgment again. That mm. judgment will come again. Come on, This Carl. time through fire. Uh, that God will will burn the heavens and the earth, and it will be remade, uh, free from sin. And yet there is there is salvation to be found in an ark, and that ark is Jesus. And mm. so the rainbow is supposed to serve as a symbol to just not look at the natural order and say, all right, God has preserved through through flood before, but that to look at the rainbow is to see God's covenant of peace with His own people, with His elect, with His covenant people, that God has made peace. And so when we think about the pride flag, we think the, the Bible's clear testimony over and over there, there is no, there is no peace for the wicked. You know, that, that constantly false prophets uh, in the Old Testament are being spoken of as those who speak peace to the wicked. They speak peace when there is no peace. And, and God condemns that type of false preaching. Um, you know, at the pride celebration the, the other day in Stevens Point, apparently there was a Methodist preacher, a mainline Protestant female preacher who showed up and talked about how accepting and welcoming. And, you know, what you just see in all of this is, is just a complete turning on its head of the things that God was intending for good in order to, to promote evil. And it's, you know, I don't use that language lightly. It is promote evil. And so as we kind of turn our attention to the history of this movement, the pride movement, we look, it's, it's within, within a much bigger history. It's within salvation history. It is within the history of humanity as a whole. But within our culture, uh, a gentleman named Gilbert Baker. And Gilbert Baker is the one who um, originated the pride flag. And uh, he had, uh, here's some biographical information. So I can pause you there for just a second, yeah. Chris. What I'm, what I'm hearing is the original intent of the rainbow is to say, 
I, God, will preserve you through judgment, making peace. There's reason for judgment. There's a reason for judgment. Mm-hmm. You are trying to usurp me, but I will make a way through a boat, then yeah. through the Red Sea, then through a mercy seat, then through myself, Jesus Christ, yep. to preserve you through judgment, through judgment. rainbow, peace. Yep. I will preserve you through the judgment that you deserve, but I will take on myself. And then the pride movement flips it. And, and, and instead of saying, we have defamed the image of God and therefore deserve judgment, but he'll save us. The pride movement says, we can make God in our image and say yeah. he already loves us because why wouldn't he? Because he loves us. Yeah. So there's no, there's no judgment in that. There's no, we have sinned to be uh, forgiven. There's no, we have defamed the image. Right. So it, we have taken the rainbow and instead of peace, instead of judgment, it's, of course there's peace. Right. Right. Yeah. Why, why would there be anything else? Right. Because, because we were made good. I mean, that's what's, what's being spoken and, it, and it's, it's pretty awful. Um, regarding this Gilbert Baker individual, um, there's a, a, a I heard blog Gilbert here. Grape when you first Gilbert said Grape, it. But that's Gilbert Grape. Gilbert Grape. What's eating Gilbert Grape? Well, uh, a woman named Nikki Hallowell uh, has a blog here, and she's not a not a Christian uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but she gives some details on the the history of this gentleman, uh, Gilbert Baker. So I just want to, I guess, cite sources there, um, so that I'm not just pulling this out of thin air. And yeah, and to and, be fair, I'm a skeptic. So when you told me some of these, no, I'm not a skeptic. Uh, I'm afraid of being called out. So I want to have secondary sources sure. yep. so that if you say something and then we say it on the podcast and then someone goes, that's not true, I have I can defend myself. Yeah. So as soon as you told me this stuff, I looked up gilbertbaker.com yeah. and it's, this is true. Yep. And so, yeah, anybody can resource at gilbertbaker.com, San Francisco Chronicle, Wikipedia, different resources that this woman drew from and, and all of this. So this is not being made up. It's certainly not a caricature from a you know Christian perspective. This is just simply what happened. And so uh, here's here's the history here, and, and this is going to sound a little bit, you know, kind of lecturish for a second, not typical conversation. But, but the point is to show that some of the things we're seeing now, things like the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence yes. making a mockery of Christianity, is not some sort of abnormality. It's not some sort of simply new flavor. It actually goes back to the very founder of ago. the pride symbol. Exactly. Exactly. So this Gilbert Baker is the one who came up with the the, the rainbow flag. And so what, what happened here is uh, this, this gentleman spent a couple of years uh, as an openly gay individual uh, in the United States Army. And uh, after leaving the Army, went on to... 70s? For, yeah, in the 70s. Like yeah, well 70 before. to 72. Okay. Yeah, so this is 50 plus years ago. Uh, worked to uh, legalize marijuana in 72. And uh, another activist helped him sew. And it was the sewing skill that uh, led him to, to sew together this rainbow flag. I was friends with Harvey Milk. Uh, Harvey Milk, uh, if you're not familiar with him, was an individual who was uh, who was murdered, uh, which is not a good thing. Uh, but he was murdered. Uh, he was a very openly gay politician who had some details to his life that were uh, less than godly, uh, to be sure. And you can look that up on your own. Uh, safe to say that Harvey Milk is not an individual by any stretch to be imitated. Um, Going on, what happened here, you know, the Sisters Perpetual Indulgence has been in the news lately because of the Los Angeles Dodgers and welcoming in that organization uh, who have just very openly mocked uh, any type of, you know, I guess kind of uh, holiness, uh, yeah. the, the idea of holiness or Christianity. Provocative dancing on the cross. What more yeah. do you need to know? Pretty awful stuff. Well, uh, this, this gentleman um, decided uh, in, in the, uh, looks like in the 70s or perhaps the early 80s, uh, no, I'm sorry, it was 81, 
Uh, so the, this group, Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, the creator of the rainbow flag, uh, the, the chief pride symbol, uh, in 1981 joined this organization, so the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, and uh, took on the name Sister Chanel 2001, and he spent two years in that organization. Now, what happened then was he was, uh, was going into this, and here is a quote that, uh, that's taken from him. This is his first public outing with this organization. And to just put it in perspective for those who are listening, if you think that the origination of the pride symbol is simply a celebration of diversity hmm. and a positive symbol, a positive image of diversity, it is anything but, and these are the words of the man who created the because rainbow flag. It, because this... It can be easy to say, I, I was just reading an yeah. article about a onesie, I think at Kohl's, hmm. and I, I don't know that the onesie said, um, if you haven't had a baby in a while, a onesie goes on a baby. Uh, I don't know that the onesie said pride on it. I think it had a picture of a person in a wheelchair, it maybe it says pride, I'm not sure, has a picture of a person in a wheelchair, has some people waving rainbow flags, and actually the, uh, the person who wrote the article said, I don't know that the vast majority of people buying this onesie are going to be activists. I think it might just be kind of a tired mom who sees a diverse group uh -huh. of people right. that look happy and say, right. oh, wheelchair, that's nice. Yep. And so the, the point here is it can be, the, the bill of goods sold can be that the rainbow is about diversity right. and representation. What is it really yeah, about? Yeah, and what are lots of corporations, including now, is, is offices of diversity, equity, and inclusion, which it, it falls under the rainbow flag, the rainbow symbol. And we need to have an, uh, an officer of diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? And so that's thrown out there. Well, Folks, if you are considering a diversity and equity and inclusion officer in your organization, your business, here's where this individual is going to be getting uh, his nourishment from. The, the roots of this movement are drawn from this. Uh, here's a quote now from Gilbert Baker, the originator of the rainbow flag. Talking about his uh, working with the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, says, quote, My first required appearance began when Sister Boom Boom and Sister Krishna Kosher planned a rally at Union Square. I created a copy of Princess Diana's wedding gown in black. Our job was to upstage a Christian fundamentalist revival going on in the little park held by a group called SOS, Save Our Souls, who said that San Francisco, San Francisco was Sodom and Gomorrah. Sister Boom Boom, dressed up like a lion in chains and carrying a whip, was threatening to eat the Christians. We stayed until the fundies gave up and we all sang the hallelujah chorus as they quickly drove back to the suburbs. Now, you know, we've had the opportunity, Josh, to, to look ahead uh, as, as we're preaching through the book of Revelation. And the imagery here is unique because, frankly, as, as we think about the book of Revelation, we think, uh, you know, it's not primarily a book about uh, dates and times and prophecy charts, but it's really about the, the conquering, the, the, the lamb, the slain and risen lamb conquering the dragon. Uh, we, we think about the people of God persevering in a world uh, where the devil prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's what uh, Peter says in 1 Peter. And so the Hallelujah Chorus is, is directly taken, Handel, in that beautiful work. It's, it's one of my favorite classical works. Uh, he, he draws directly from the book of Revelation. Uh, you know, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Those are the words of the Hallelujah Chorus. And these individuals who dressed up in order to deliberately mock Christianity uh, showed up at a, a place where people were preaching the gospel in the hopes of seeing those who had uh, you know, thrown their lives, as we all had at one point, into sin to come to Jesus, who gives freely from the, the river of, of life without price to those who come. And they show up 
and dress like a lion in chains seeking to devour someone and then steal the words of scripture in order to celebrate the departure of these individuals who held out the, the hope of Christ to others. That's a quote. That's yeah. a quote from this man who anytime somebody hangs a rainbow flag, they are celebrating the work of this man. Now there's more. There's more here. So what we have there is um I I I don't have enough time to determine if Save Our Souls was like a Westboro Baptist sure. or if Save Our Souls was like a Billy Graham. You right. know, the the problem with um, anyone who doesn't believe in the authority of the Bible is everyone who does is a fundamentalist. Right. So you don't actually know who a crazy fundamentalist is right. because everyone is. So put that on the table. We don't really know the organization Save Our Souls, um, but let's say that they are the worst of the worst, right? They're sure. coming, they're Westboro Baptist Church, God hates gays signs um, that still would not warrant. What that would warrant is a peaceful protest. What that would warrant right. is some, some sort of like, you guys are being hateful, like, whatever. This is an intentional planned attack against Christianity. Right. Um, and then, man, I'm, I'm really sorrowful reading for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth coming out of the mouth of a mocker. Right. Because that's true and the yeah. Lord is omnipotent and he does reign and it's going to be a very different tone one day. Right. When I don't know if Gilbert Baker's still alive, but... No, he is, he's the, died. Okay, so you see that the, the direct blasphemy and mockery that your Lord God does not reigneth. Right. And so this is, this is far more than just we disagree right. on who should be able to sleep with whom. This is a, that, that is a direct attack in the 80s. I mean, this is 40 years prior yeah. to where we are now. Yep. Uh, but there's more. Like you said, he oh, took on a, a personality, this Gilbert Baker. So this individual, <coughs> excuse me, um, he, he is known apparently for his dressing as the pink Jesus, as the pink Jesus. And uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of paraphrase here what he did. Um, he went to a 1990 gay pride parade in San Francisco. And he also wore this to a, uh, a Christian convention of sorts. And I don't know, again, what that, that was specifically, but just going based on the information here. Um, but he showed up at this 1990 gay pride parade in part dressed this way because he felt that they had become too soft. He felt that the pride movement had become not as aggressive as it needed to be. And that is telling, okay, that is telling because symbolism is significant. The Bible is filled with symbolism. Mm -hmm. Symbols, I mean, we are symbols of God, as it were, as those who bear his image. Symbols matter. And so this individual who, who effectively was an artist um, showed up at this gay pride parade in order to challenge the lack of aggressiveness on the part of those in the, in the, the gay community, the LGBT movement. It's that point, it was just the gay movement. Right? Mm -hmm. This is what it's called. So um, what he did was he showed up and he went to the front of the line. He went to the front of the parade, apparently. Uh, he, he went up there because he needed to be front and center. This needed to be seen by everybody. And he went to the front of the parade in this pink Jesus outfit. He, he, he doused himself in pink dye or paint, something like that. Um, put a crown of thorns on his head. And um, carried a, a pink balsa wood cross uh, that had, uh, I think, uh, art... Uh, Art is martyrdom or something, it was something like that. But he went out like that. He had an American flag uh, covering his genitals uh, and only his genitals. 
and he had, had gone out there and done this. And so it's very clear that this individual had such hostility, outward hostility, toward Christianity. Uh, I mean, for, forget the American flag around one's genitals. Just think about the deliberate display of this man taking on the image of Jesus. Now, as, as we go back to Revelation, and uh, you know, man, I definitely encourage you, if, uh, if you're listening right now and, and maybe you're not a part of our church, uh, Josh and I are loving, and our church is loving going through Revelation because unfortunately so many people think that Revelation is just about left behind. and, and uh, No, you know, it's about of, for the Lord God omnipotent exactly, rated. Exactly. And so it's not about prophecy charts and, and finding out what, what day Jesus is coming back. It's knowing Jesus will come back and how you persevere knowing that in the midst of a fallen and increasingly corrupted world. And uh, Gilbert Baker was part of that increasing corruption. And you, you think, what, what does the devil do in Revelation? And one of the pictures, and the, the cycles of prophecy that are given uh, in Revelation, we see how the, the devil deliberately mocks Christ by taking on a wound and, uh, and effectively being raised from death in order to mock Jesus. And this Gilbert Baker mocked Jesus uh, by dressing up in such a way that people looked at him and said, oh, this is a perversion of Jesus, and, and it's a deliberate assault. Now, we're going to fast forward a little bit here to understand the significance of this man, because he's obviously an individual with great hatred. Um, and, and again, you, you think about people saying, well, Pride Month is about love. It's about love and inclusion, and I'm sorry it's not. Pride Month has always been, since it was founded, and since the rainbow flag came into being, it's always been about hatred. It's been about hatred of God. It's been about hatred of things that have been historically understood as good, ethically in Christian culture, in order to supplant it with something else. Yeah, and I'm going to pause you there, man, because yeah. I would, I'm sure there are people that are like me that their first gut reaction is, come on, Chris. It's not always been about hatred. I mean, there's some weird stuff going on now. And I, I think maybe one of the reasons that I have been slow to be vocal in certain areas about this is because I, I think I bought into the idea that for a long time, the pride movement was, you know, just let us be, let right. us be queer. You right. know, queer means weird. Let us be different. Just let us be. We're going to have a month. Sure. And I think that's easy to buy into to just say, look, the, the, the origin of the movement with Gilbert Baker and the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, there's always crazy people. These are just the crazy people on the edge. Sure. But what we're trying to do is say, actually, the origin of the movement with Gilbert Baker is tied to the same organization right. that is currently f demanding acceptance by the Los Angeles Dodgers, which exactly. is a place of prominence. Yep. And, and so th that tells us something about the aim of the movement. And the aim of the movement is to displace... I mean, there's one of the... Um, I forget if this is... This was... I don't think this was on Target's website, but I think it was made by the guy who did the art for the Target pieces. Mm -hmm. uh, it said, like, heteronormativity is a plague. Yeah. Okay. Um, that, that is part of the pride movement to yep. say heteronormativity, which is male-female procreation as the normal means, which is just like, I don't know. Biological? Obs observation <laughs> exactly. of nature. That that's a plague. Plague is a very, we have to eradicate plagues. We need to right. fix plagues. We need to get rid of plagues. And so part of this movement, I think maybe what I mentioned either earlier today or on the last podcast was that, you know, when we use Obergefell as that kind of linchpin, that 2015 mm -hmm. Supreme Court decision, what happens is a movement that doesn't have cultural sway or power argues for subjectivity and says, truth is relative 
There's no such thing as right or mm-hmm. wrong until they get power and then say, here's what's right and here's what's wrong. Yep. What's wrong is heteronormativity. And so now because they have cultural sway right. and power and a month, that was Carl Truman's point is yeah. the occupation of space and time means power. Mm-hmm. Now the messaging can get back to maybe being as clear as it was earlier it in the day. Yes. And, um, and then the mockery piece, uh, you know, the, the same artist that did some of the art for the Target we haven't even talked about Target, man. Uh, the same artist that did some of the pieces that got Target in all sorts of trouble has a, a piece of art that says Satan respects pronouns. Right. So a deliberate mockery like, oh, your God won't respect pronouns? Well, Satan does. Right. And and we have to look at that and say, this is this is part of the movement is to desacralize things. And uh, I read a really interesting argument kind of speaking to that, you know, this this flow from this isn't a moral conversation. This is just a scientific conversation. Uh, homosexuality is just a is just a normal thing. Back to this is a moral conversation. This yeah. is what is good, and if you don't celebrate what is good, yep. then you are on the wrong side of history. Right. You are evil, and so part of the celebrating what is good is defaming what is bad. Except for the roles have reversed. Right. Exactly. Um, we're now defaming. The, the the defaming of what is bad now involves the cross of Christ, right. which I want to share. I want to share something from a, a C.S. Lewis novel that um, I think actually, this is going to be a weird phrasing. I think what's helpful about the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence is most rational people can look at that and say, that's nasty. Right. Right. You don't even have to believe in Jesus. Now, here's, but you, here, you can't say that though. Clayton Kershaw you can't can say that. you feel right? it, right? Yeah, exactly. So here's... Here's something. Um, C.S. Lewis writes a book called That Hideous Strength. It's part of a, a space trilogy. And uh, it really, it throws a lot of people off because the first two books in the trilogy are very much about space. And the second book is kind of about uh, the main character trying to stop Satan from tempting Eve. It's a fascinating depiction mm-hmm. of Satan. And then the third book seems very normal. It doesn't seem to have anything to do with space at all. It's set in a small town in London at a university. Mm. And it starts off with just the quibbling of university professors fighting for tenure and Mm -hmm. fighting for rank in the organization. Um, And then there's this organization aptly called the NICE, the N-I-C-E. It's an acronym. That sounds pleasant, Josh. That sounds really affirming and loving. The NICE continually uh, dictate things. They they buy off the, uh, the establishment media and they are doing things underground and they're trying to destroy the city. And there's this character named Mark that gets caught up in the nice because he wants to be liked. He really wants prominence. He wants a position. He wants to be liked. So he gets in this organization and he starts to feel something's not right here. And, but, but he progresses in the organization and he keeps getting more and more important. And he comes to the end of the book where he's started to see the cracks in the foundation, but they're initiating him into the inner circle. Mm. And the way that they initiate someone into the inner circle is they take him to a place called the objective room, the objective room. And what happens in this objective room is a a character named Professor Frost, who's named that because of his iciness, he's unfeeling. Mm. Professor Frost's job is to desensitize you. He, he basically says humans are minds, not emotional centers. All of these feelings we have, they just get in the way. To be a pure mind, you need to be desensitized. So you need to be re-educated. In yes. Fact. Yeah, okay. So he takes Mark into this room, and I forget what the initial images are, but basically he begins to show Mark disgusting things, things that Mark is supposed to have a visceral reaction to. And then he keeps telling Mark, that reaction is just emotional. That's a wrong reaction. You don't actually feel that. That's not true. So he's desensitizing the character. Now, Mark is 
put in a position where he walked into the room one day and it says, on the floor lay a large crucifix, almost life-size, a work of art in the Spanish tradition, ghastly and realistic. And Professor Frost says, we have half an hour to pursue our exercises. He then instructs Mark to trample on the crucifix and insult it. Now, this is super interesting because the next paragraph in the story says, now, whereas Mark's wife had abandoned Christianity in early childhood, along with her belief in fairies and Santa Claus, Mark had never believed in it at all. Okay, so his wife abandons Christianity. Mark's never believed in it at all. Yet, at this moment, it crossed his mind for the very first time that there might conceivably be something in it. So what happens is he gets taken in this room. He's told to stomp on the profane. And for the first time in his life, he pauses and says, maybe that's true. Hmm. And Lewis keeps going on to, to see this tug and pull where, where Mark is like, if it's not true, why do you need me to stomp on it? If it's just fake, why do you need me to profane it? And Frost's response is, if you had been brought up in a non-Christian society, you would not be asked to do this. Of course, it's a superstition. But it is that particular superstition which has pressed upon our society for a great many centuries. It can be experimentally shown that it still forms a dominant system in the subconscious of many individuals whose conscious thought appears to be wholly liberated. So what's happening here? Professor Frost says, of course it's not real, but it's still in a lot of people's minds, mm -hmm. which means you need to defame it because we have to ruin this it. image. And so you, uh, Mark kind of has this pause where he's like, I don't want to not do it because this guy might kill me if I don't do it, but I don't want to do it because there's something in me telling me that if I profane this, this is a cross. And I've he goes too on, far. he goes on to say, even if this, even if this Jesus character was crazy and he died for no reason, am I supposed to trample him at the point of death? He's, and this is like, this, this, uh, unearth the wickedness like when you when you defame the crucifix you're you're taking a man who willingly endured humiliation from the roman government and you're humiliating him again mm -hmm. and that's what mark in this book he says i i can't humiliate him at that precise moment this really unearths, I think, it's a beautiful picture. Beautiful is the wrong word there. It is a gut-wrenching picture of, I think, what's happening with some of the cultural symbols. Sure. Where it's saying, we need to humiliate the Christian God at the most humiliating point to yep. show that this is nonsense, but it's still in the subconscious. Yep. And, and man, C.S. Lewis writing in the 1940s grasps what was going to happen in the 1980s in a different country, and now in 2023, yeah. where the goal... Of, of an organization is not just, hey, can, can you allow us to celebrate our diversity? It is, we need to defame the core of your belief because the core of your belief is the antithesis of ours. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, Josh, you think about the influence of this and they go, these, these sound like ideas and it's like, all right, well maybe, you know, you talk about the extreme characters and, and maybe, maybe there's no Dr. Frost in somebody's life. Maybe there's a guy who's a mill worker and he's like, yeah, I'm not going to, not going to college and, and listening to some guy tell me this and just watch TV. Yeah, whatever. You know, I, I'm not, I'm not so influenced by this stuff. Um, kind of close the book on Gilbert Baker. Um, this, this is what happened after he did this pink Jesus thing, after he made an open mockery 
of Christ and who did the very thing you're talking about. He went on to design displays for Senator Dianne Feinstein, a senator from California, for the uh, dictator of China, uh, the presidents of France, Venezuela, uh, the Philippines, the king of Spain. What kind of displays? Uh, art displays. Um, I'm assuming flag displays, those types of okay. things. Uh, he also designed creations for civic events and the gay pride uh, movement in San Francisco. And in 1984, almost 40 years ago, he designed flags for the Democratic National Convention. And so um, what's significant here is that this man who, who did this, who started this movement, uh, when it comes to the, the, the flag itself. Now, he obviously didn't start the, quote, gay pride movement, but he was pivotal in it. Uh, he was friends with Harvey Milk, uh, who is viewed as kind of the, you know, a, a, an Abraham Lincoln-type character within the, the gay community. And, and so he's significant enough to have been in these circles. And in being in these circles, he goes about um, influencing, right? And so we think... If we want to understand the United States government, who would we turn to first? Well, we wouldn't go to a colonist. We wouldn't go to an, uh, a Revolutionary War soldier. In fact, we wouldn't go to some lieutenant in, the, in the, the colonial army. We'd go to Thomas Jefferson. We'd go to uh, you know, Benjamin Franklin as, as one of the uh, leaders of thought. We, we would go to a James Madison. We'd go to these individuals who, who helped develop the ideas that would then be implemented mm -hmm. and put into action in the forming of a new republic. And so we'd go and we'd understand, okay, this is what they were thinking. This is what, what fed their actions, right? Because thought always precedes action. Uh, that, that's a differentiator between us and animals. Thoughts were sentient beings. Thoughts, thoughts precede action. You mean my dog doesn't think before she gets in the trash <coughs> no. when I leave the house? No, she's, she's, she's only thinking food, right? That's it. But we have premeditation, and we have thought, and we have philosophy, mm -hmm. and we think through these things. So the question to ask about why is there a rainbow flag, you go to Genesis, you go to Revelation, you go cover to cover in the Bible, and you see a pattern. And this pattern is that from cover to cover, the enemy of humanity who introduced temptation into the garden with Eve and with Adam. He has always been about this business of taking the sacred, mm. of taking the holy and profaning it. And, and if he can, taking that then and, and doing it in such a way that creates caricatures, evil, wicked caricatures that, that just absolutely reframe everything about that particular thing. And so how can we reframe God's covenant of peace in the midst of judgment. Well, let's take God's celebration of something God has said is wrong. Yes, let's take the the the, the ark of, of, of Noah. Yeah, God's great with this stuff. He he loves. It. I mean, this is all about love. It's all about you know God is love. Well, let's take God is love and make that a pride statement. And and then let's go to the true ark of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, man. And let's go to him and let's paint him pink and parade him as the foremost proponent of the mockery of humanity that, that is found in this movement. 
And it does exactly what Professor Frost does in that hideous strength. This, this at the same time, of course, it's superstition, but it's so important we need to defend. Right. It. It's right. this weird mixture of it's not important at all, but it's so important right. that we need to desecrate it. And goodness, man, I don't know if anyone else listening to this and feels like I feel right now, but it's. Um, it feels like I almost want to be able to say, this is all just the extreme version. Like this is not, part of me wants to hope that this is not really what people are trying to do. And there is certainly a, a, a large swath of people that when they put a pride flag in their dog store, they don't know the origins right. of this, right? And so the purpose of this is not to say every single person who has a rainbow flag definitely has signed on to the right, origins. Right, exactly. exactly. But it is to say, this is the origin, man. And this is the right. logical conclusion. And we don't like to think in terms of logical conclusions, but that's the point of a time to think, right. is to think in terms of implications and conclusions. And the logical conclusion of this rainbow symbol and the reason why it's currently flying at the White House is this needs to usurp a different right. symbol. And um, man, it, that's a great connection between Satan desecrating the image and then taking the rainbow. Um, I want to spend a moment before we... Before we leave, talking about the, I don't know, the, the on the ground stuff for people that are listening in a, in a month where you're encouraged to fly the flag. Um, you know, I just, we just both preach through Revelation 1, 4 through 8. Uh, it's beautiful to see how God leads both of us to preach different things on the same text. Not to say that the text means two different things to two different people, but it does mean that There's sometimes, a lot in one spot. <laughs> yeah, as, uh, as one professor of mine said, a secondary point can be the main point of your sermon. Mm. And, um, and so you'll see how we take those two different things. You preached on the Trinity. I'd highly recommend anyone go, go look that up by the time this podcast is out. Chris will have his sermon up. You can yep. hear him preach. Why, why do we need to know what the Trinity is? Well, it's because he is who God is and yeah. he who's, is who saves us, three persons and one God. Um, I, I took a little bit different route to talk about uh, in the midst of weariness, needing to know that God presently is ruling and is controlling. Mm-hmm. Because Do we need to know that, Josh? Yeah, we do. And what I told people is that we can very much tend to think, well, definitely God was powerful and definitely God will be powerful, mm. but is God doing anything right now? Yeah. And so I talked about uh, the, the reason this letter was written, that we're talking 60 plus years after Christ has died, and there's some success at the beginning of the Christian movement, right? There's a couple days depicted in the book of Acts where thousands of people come to faith in one day, and like that seems to be pretty successful. And really the only sure. people that are mad are kind of the Jewish religious sects and but then the 64 AD happens and there's a fire in Rome and Nero blames the Christians and Nero rounds them up and kills them, burns them. And that begins government sanctioned persecution of Christians. And so by, you know, by 95, 96 AD, you have not just Nero with a localized persecution in Rome, but now you have Domitian who was described by one historian as this evil beast in a den licking blood. Yikes. And he's now doing... Uh, prov- provincial-wide sure. persecution, not just one city, but across the Roman occupation. And so you've got these Christians who are under legitimate physical danger for their beliefs. And this evil, tyrannical ruler is calling himself master and God. Mm. And he's demanding that people offer incense to him and mm. worship him as master and God. And you're a Christian and you're thinking, what do I do? Yeah. Do I give up on Christ as Lord so I can keep my life. And I, all I have to do is offer incense. All I have to do is call Domitian God. 
All I have to do is the flag. Do I do that? Or do I hang on to Christ as Lord and lose my life? Mm -hmm. And John's answer to open the book of Revelation is grace and peace to you from the throne of the God who is. Mm. Domitian is going to die. God is not. He did. Yeah, he did. And so what I, what I told people yesterday, just very, very in passing that I want to unpack just for a few moments is what John is screaming at the believers in the seven churches is if given the opportunity to bow to Domitian, don't do it. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to talk about the implications of that for the pride flag. Yeah. Because right now it is much easier and will lead to much less hardship to just be okay with the pride flag, to just yep. incorporate it. Certainly a lot of businesses do it because maybe at the very least they don't want to be asked why they're not doing it. Um, what do you think that encouragement in the book of Revelation has to say to this dominant cultural symbol today? Yeah, I mean, I think in, in any culture you go throughout the history of the church and you see that this is always a tension, which is why revelation is always timely. You know, it's, it's not just for the very last, last days, right? Because from the ascension of Jesus until his return, it is the last days. That's just, that's the biblical picture. Here. So we are all Latter-day Saints. <clears throat> oh boy. Well, I don't condone the, the Latter-day Saints are yes. not Latter-day Saints yeah. and Christians are actual saints, but yeah. No, but you're right. G Peter says the time is near, not because he's a buffoon who doesn't know how to read a chart, but because when Christ raises from the dead, Peter and Paul, everyone knows this is the last stage. Right. The end days are here. The last days are here in these last days. Yes. And he will, he will return uh, when it is time, when it is time for him to return. And so we read Revelation with a sense of um, relevance because it is a book that talks to us about what is happening now and what will happen later. And so the happening now is that the, the, the dragon, the antichrist, the devil, however you want to name him, um, is waging war against the saints. He's waging war against the people of God. And this is one way in which he wages war. Um, 400 years ago, waging war against the saints of God took place through, in Great Britain, uh, the, the rise of a monarch who came after those who would not, on, on basis of conscience, give up their commitment to the Christ of Scripture. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you think the beheading of Christians under, you know, a Roman Catholic um, monarch. Well, that seems pretty significant, pretty severe. And for them, it was simply, well, give up your commitments to biblical Christianity and, you know, subscribe to the perspective that the, the Pope is the ruler of the church and, and you'll be fine. Yeah. So really there's always been a choice set in front of Christian people in any culture. You know, maybe 35 years ago, uh, you know, our parents' generation, Josh, it would have been bow down before the God of money um, and everything will be happy. Everything will be fine. Work on Sundays, you know, throw away corporate worship, do the things. It's just, those are things you can do and trade off. You'll still be good. You'll still be good with God. Just, you know, trade off these ways. Well, now this is becoming more pronounced. And so the, the choice that the Christian has to make today is a choice of, of social ostracization. It's, it's, will I be looked at as intolerant, as bigoted, which is really the, the, the ultimate. And all, you know, I, all I have to do, Chris. Yeah. All I have to do to avoid a lot of those headaches 
I have to do is just change my profile picture. Yep, change your profile picture. Just offer incense. Put pronouns on your on your email signature. It's it's all I have to do. It's in an effort to be loving. And I think as harsh as it sounds, we want to say, no, 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 no. Don't offer the incense. Because um, we've shown you some of the origins of the movement. And, and lest anyone think that we're kind of just stirring stuff up to stirring stir stuff up. I think we're starting to see more and more of this actual in real time. There's a gentleman named Anthony Bass, who is, a, I believe, a relief pitcher yeah. for the Toronto Blue Jays. Was. Was. Um, he's probably still in the organization, but I think down to AAA maybe. He's designated for assignment. He was DFA'd? Yeah. Really? Okay. Um, I thought so, he was just let go altogether. No, I think he was designated for assignment. So, so you have Anthony Bass... Um, back when the whole Target hullabaloo happened, I believe Anthony Bass shared an Instagram post that encouraged Bud Light and Target boycotts. Both of those boycotts would have been boycotting Target or Bud Light because of their pro-LGBT mm-hmm. uh, products or messaging. And so I think Anthony Bass shared a, hey, we should boycott Target. And then he got in a lot of trouble. Um <laughs> And, you know, Canada as a whole is more affirming even than the United States. And so he gets in trouble. He comes back a couple days later and basically says, hey, I shouldn't have shared that. I didn't want to hurt anyone. Certainly want everyone to feel loved, right? I'm sorry for doing that. I've been educated, Uh, which Mm -hmm. is kind of the phrase you used when we talked about that hideous strength. You have to be re-educated, right? You'll hear that when someone makes a comment that is looked at as regressive, they come back and they say, hey, I've learned, I've been educated. So he says, I've been educated. And um, it seemed like all is well in his life, basically, uh, except for then the next week, it comes out that the Blue Jays are going to make him catch the opening pitch of Pride Weekend. So it looks like they're going to make a show of this, right? Not only has he been re-educated, but he's now going to be a part of the celebration. And he's going to catch the opening. He stepped on the cross. Yeah. He's going to catch the opening pitch, right? And then I think last Wednesday, maybe, he is interviewed again. And he basically says, again, I'm sorry for sharing the post. I still have my personal beliefs. And I think everyone's entitled to their personal beliefs. But I don't think anyone should be harmed. So he kind of moves back a little bit and he says, I haven't actually changed my mind on this. I just shouldn't have done the action I did, which, okay, good on him. I mean, I I think that he should say something to the degree that this isn't going to change his personal beliefs. Mm -hmm. The next day he gets designated for assignment and the organization officially says, hey, this is a baseball decision. This was about performance, but also a little bit about distraction. Um, And he gets designated for assignment, which means taken off the big leagues roster just before Pride Weekend. And so you're looking at this and you're saying, man, whether or not I offer incense to Domitian, whether or not I fly the flag, whether or not I make public profession to the symbol, might cost me a job. I mean, this is real stuff. This is not fake stuff. Um, Well, and here's here's what I want to just kind of like encourage, looking at the Anthony Bass situation. I, I really feel for the guy, looking at his Instagram page, he looks like he's a professing Christian, and you know, so I have, I have you know great sympathy for for this this brother. But what I think his example shows us the same thing that the early church dealt with under some of these early persecutions in the first couple hundred years of the church's life. It was what do you do with a Christian who offers incense and then says, you know, I made a terrible mistake. Mm-hmm. I made a terrible mistake. 
because honestly, that's it's going to haunt you the rest of your life. And, and I just want to encourage anybody like don't don't do that. Don't don't and put that's the flag John's up. message. John's message yeah. is the God who is is over the one who's right. trying to force you to offer incense. Yeah, and and what will ultimately happen is is you will still get chewed up. You mm. know, the lion's going to come around and it's going to make a promise that um, you know I'm I'm prowling around looking for somebody to devour, and I won't devour you as long as you play with me, right? But the problem is, he still has hatred for you. He still does. He's still going to come get you. You know, the and, lion meaning the devil. Yeah, yeah. He's not. He's not going to say, "Okay, I now love you because you're on exactly. my side." Exactly, exactly. Because if somebody is a legitimate Christian, a genuine Christian, a genuine follower of Christ, and this type of a thing occurs, I mean, man, your conscience is going to be burdened. But but then you're still you're still the enemy of God's enemy, right? And so the only thing to be gained by this, by by the type of compromise that comes in to say, well. I guess I can play both sides. The only thing is going to be gained is a wounded conscience yeah. and, a, and a compromised public witness. And so I just, I'm yeah, heartbroken for this man. The person you unite with still hates you. And that's, exactly. you know, the I'm, I'm going through a poet's class right now at RTS and we're going through the Psalms. And the basic premise was that um, the Psalms use refuge as a kingly term. You take refuge in a king hmm. that can protect you. And so the plea there for, you know, for a guy like Anthony Bass is, he thought refuge would be in changing his position to avoid public backlash. Right. But you're saying he took refuge in an enemy that still hated him. So you hid in someone that hated you, whereas the Lord is saying, hey, you're going you're gonna to hold a position, Christ as Lord. You're going to hold a position, uh, homosexuality as an ungodly practice. Mm-hmm. You're going to hold a position that male and female cannot be transversed, not right. interchangeable. You're going to hold a position that's going to get you hated, but you can take refuge in me. Right. And I am the king. Yeah. The alpha and the omega, the one who was, who is, who is to come. The it's almighty. The almighty. And so that's the message of the Christian is if you're going to hide somewhere, <laughs> yep. because at the end of the day, all of us are weak and we hide places. Yep. And and you're either going to hide from public backlash, or you're or you're going to hide in the king, yeah. and and the book of Revelation is yelling, hide in the king, yeah. and take I'm, refuge in the Almighty. And I don't think there are any clearer words than just going to the words of Jesus Himself, who said, "If anyone is ashamed of me and of my words, I will be ashamed of him in the presence of my Father." I mean, come on, give me the good news though. But yeah. if anyone acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge him exactly. before my father. Exactly. So there, there is the long game to play here. And, and granted, we understand the short game, it, it means a certain sense of peace. Now with, with this, this brother, Anthony Bass, the short game was very short. Yeah, and surely uh, there is forgiveness from his Lord. Um, right. We hope. You know, there's, sure, there's always forgiveness for a repentant follower of Jesus and yeah. uh, maybe pray for him, pray for him because this is a real change for his family. Yeah. And uh, we don't use his example to scold him necessarily, but to unearth the fact that these are, things are actually happening. Yeah. Um, we're not drumming up boogeymen, uh, but uh, and, and to show the very reality of, of what that inner turmoil can be like when you're trying to figure exactly. out what do I do with the sign of the movement? Yeah. Oh man, this has been too, man, cl- we've tried to be clear as we can. Um, in our last two episodes of A Time to Think. And we got more because this is just a heavy month for a lot of people. Um, I would encourage you to, man, don't listen to these podcasts back to back if you don't have to. Like, just step away. Go 
what is the phrase these days? Go touch some grass. Go, go play lawn. outside yeah. with your kid. Go realize that the Lord still has beauty in his creation. Enjoy yeah. the Wisconsin summer. Take some time off of thinking about Pride Month. And then when you're ready, come back and, and think with us again. Yeah. So until then, thanks for taking some time to think.